Welcome back, hustlers, to the 5 a.m. Hustle Podcast. Now, I'm here with Barry Hauser, and I'm going to let Namish very quickly give a little bit of an introduction to who he is. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Um, Barry Hauser is the Associate Director of Bands um, and the Director of the Marching Illini at the University of Illinois um, at Urbana-Champaign. But also over the summer, he runs the Smith-Walbridge Clinics, which is a one-of-a-kind marching band camp where um, high schoolers and college students can um, get together and learn some neat tricks about marching. Thank you so much for joining us, Barry. Oh, thank you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, let's just dive right in. Um, one question that we generally ask a lot of people that come from like a musical background is, why is this something that you've devoted your life to? You know, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I, I don't think this was originally the plan. Um, you know, growing up, I always thought I was gonna go to law school and become a lawyer, become a judge, and then get into politics. And uh, uh, one of those three things actually happened. I'm still involved with politics, you know, working at the university and things like that. Uh, there's certainly a lot of politics and red tape to work through, but it's a great place to work. You know, I think in terms of devoting myself to this profession and to music, um, it's something that I really, the eyes were open my senior year in high school. And I realized that, wow, you can actually make this a career, make this a profession, and this can be a lifelong uh, devotion to, you know, this passion for music. But, you know, even at that point in time, I had no idea what the world entailed of, of this, you know, amazing world of music. And I think every day I wake up and realize what an awesome honor and privilege it is to do what I do and to share that with so many, whether through Smith Walbridge or my students at the University of Illinois or people that we reach, you know, in the audiences uh, for our performances and things like that. So it's, it's pretty far reaching. And uh, I think it's an amazing thing that we can do on a, on a daily basis and make, you know, some type of impact in the world. Um, imagine, imagine the world if we had, uh, you know, zero music, zero sounds, and just how different that would be. Um, it doesn't have to be band music, doesn't have to be orchestral music, but I mean the music that, you know, whatever uh, people's favorite artist or, you know, musician or band, whatever the case may be, just think if that was non-existent and how empty the world would be. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we touched upon this earlier, how you are the director of the Marching Line. I, um, how many how many students do you have enrolled in that? Like how many participants in the band? Yeah, so you know it's it's kind of uh, it's bittersweet because each year we have between 600 and 700 students audition for the Marching Illini, uh, but we take 375 is our total number. So you know it's a big band, but it's still really unfortunate that we have to turn some people away from the Marching Illini. Um, now don't think I'm too much of a jerk because we still have plenty of places for all those other folks that don't make the Marching Illini to join in some of our other concert bands and athletic bands. So we do find a place for everyone that wants to be in the band. It just may not be a true position in the Marching Illini. Right. So um, how do you exactly take 375 people and get them, like how do you use the music behind it to create emotions that take 375 people and put them towards one goal? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest part with that is, I think, communication. Um, there's a couple different layers of that because by the time we reach the collegiate level, a lot of our students have been really trained uh, in, in our world of band of how we do things in marching band from their high school experiences or middle school experiences. So, you know, we're not necessarily starting right off the bat. 
so we're getting some students with a great deal of talent and an understanding of what our culture already is. But I think the other part of that is, you know, it's not necessarily a machine that just runs itself. These are things that have to be maintained and we've got to communicate with our students and the variety of levels of leadership, you know, from uh, myself to my colleagues, to the staff that I have, to the student staff and then to every band member as well. And so that is probably one of the biggest portions of my job that, you know, I spend a lot of time on that. Uh, but it's well worth it because everyone does understand that one goal that we're looking for and striving for as opposed to 375 people coming in and you can imagine, you know, they're, they're high energy, uh, they, they want to achieve great things, but we may not all be going the same direction. So to be able to articulate that, to communicate that, and then to get everybody to uh, strive for that goal, that's a whole nother feat all in itself. But, you know, it's the culture that we build and I think that culture is such an important part and doesn't have to be a band culture. It can be, you know, culture in our corporate world, it can be culture in education. Um, this applies to anything. Um, I've always got a phrase that, you know, leaders create cultures and cultures create leaders. And it's such an important thing that it's a very simple statement, but when you step back and think about it, you know, the leaders that are uh, leading a certain organization, they really set the parameters of what that culture is going to be like. Is it negative? Is it positive? Um, is it going to be uplifting or is it going to be, you know, we're going to tear people down to get to the top? Um, there's a lot of cultures out there. And then once that culture is established, how that can really continue to build new leaders and create new leaders along the way. So, um, you know, I think it's a very key thing that we continue to communicate and that helps get 375 people on the same page so we can achieve and accomplish great things. Awesome. So you mentioned how you have to be a leader and have to cultivate um, this culture, but when you start in this position, I'm sure you had to, um, it was a large role to step into. How did you set the standard and build that culture initially of how you wanted um, and how you planned for it to be in the future? Yeah. You know, so at the university of Illinois, um, I I'd been teaching, I'll preface step back a little bit. I'd been teaching in the public schools in Indiana and Florida uh, for quite a while. And I taught each level. I taught elementary, middle school, high school. So, you know, experience. There's a lot of experience that you learn from uh, those types of teaching situations. And then I uh, came to grad school to University of Illinois. So I understood quite a bit of the culture that was already here before I got the job. Uh, then I taught for three years at Eastern Illinois University at the collegiate level. That was my first college job. So I learned a lot there of what works. You know, it's, it's a little different than teaching high school students or even middle school students, obviously. Uh, so what, what's going to work and what's not going to work, I think, was a key part of that. Um, so when I got to the University of Illinois, you know, the University of Illinois has a tremendous history and tradition in the band world. It's the nation's premier, uh, you know, it's the first collegiate band program anywhere in the country. Uh, so there was a lot of things already set up there. Now, one of the things that I think was the difficult part that I think speaks to your question is, you know, how do you take a culture that is kind of being maintained and how do you continue to make it better? And that, that was difficult. We had some growing pains, you know, new guy coming in, even though I graduated from the University of Illinois with my graduate degree, um, I knew some of the students. And so many of the students knew me, um, but there were a lot of students I didn't know. And they were like, who's this guy coming in and asking us to do all these things that we've you know, we have to, it seems like we have to work so much harder now. And so, you know, that first year there were a set of growing pains, but once they started to see some of the results 
I think that really was kind of the motivation for more people to get on board and understand what we were what we were really striving for. And then having the vision for that, I think the vision for our organization is very different than, you know, a new startup. If we look at a new startup of a company, there's nothing that's there. You're starting from ground zero. You get to create it. Um, we've got over 100 years of history. So, you know, looking at that from how do you honor the past and keep those traditions, but then how do we keep new or how do you create new traditions as well? I mean, let's let's think about it. The world that we all live in now is very different than the world we lived in, you know, 50 years ago or 100 years ago. So how do we stay relevant? And that was a very key part. And I think something that we continue to try and recreate every year. Um, I go back to my you know, previous statement that it's it's kind of like a machine, but, you know, you can't just let it run automatically because you've got to maintain it and you've got to continue to care for it in order for it to be relevant and continue to be successful. Yeah. I think there's like a little bit of a component of, um, I know like a statement I hear a lot is um, today's excellence is tomorrow's mediocrity. I think a lot of, I think it's the job of like a leader in general to just move it forward always. And it's like, you're reaching towards a goal that you probably will never get to, but at least you're always trying to get there. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, I think that's something in music that is difficult. You know, a lot of times in music, we find people that may be very type A personality or very much a perfectionist and they want everything to be perfect. And if I work this hard, then I'm going to get to this destination. And what we realize is it's, it's not about the destination at all. It's really about the journey because in music, there, there is no stopping point. There is no, you know, good enough. Uh, you're constantly striving for that excellence. So even when you feel that you've achieved it, tomorrow comes around and, oh my goodness, yeah, we've got to keep working at that. And I think that's something sometimes students, when they look at their leader, could be band director, choir director, you know, whoever the case may be, they say, why are you asking so much of us? And then you realize in the scope of things, when you take a couple steps back, it's like, okay, they just really want us to continue to never settle. And just to continue to work and strive for excellence in everything that you do, which I think transfers, whether people go into music or not, I think this is something that transfers into any role, any profession out there. And I think, again, another perk of participating in the arts when people are growing up, high school, college, and things like that. Awesome. Well, one of the things that I'm very curious about is that obviously with a group of 375, it's not just one leader always running the show and you probably have to have many different directors and um, people within um, the marching band that have to step up as well. So how do you delegate those tasks and how do you keep those leaders um, putting out the same message throughout um, the entire band? Yeah, you know, um, that's probably one of my biggest weaknesses. It is, it is really difficult for me to delegate, um, but th I'm going to be starting my 10th year at Illinois this fall. And I think, you know, being at a place for that long there are certain things that are set up that you can start to trust others to take care of it. So um, the system that I put in place when we started 10 years ago, or if we made any changes, it's, it's been rocking and rolling for a while now. And so, you know, there's a number of people that we bring in um, and we go through a pretty vetted process to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for our students, a good fit for our staff. So, you know, I'm learning more and more to trust and learning more and more to delegate. And let's be honest, an organization this large, if I try and do everything, I'm going to hold the organization back. Um, you know, if it was a smaller group, yeah, maybe I could do that. Um, but, you know, with this many people, there are so many working parts and so many different people that we serve, you know, at the university, our state, 
you know, people throughout the country even. And so by being selfish or having ego about this, I have to realize that, you know, there are some really talented people out there. And by doing so, you can really find out some amazing things that can make our organization that much better when someone is able to share some of their own vision. And so, you know, it goes back to communicating where my expectations are and then trusting that those people that are part of our team follow through what that vision is, but it may be a different journey than what I would take. And that's okay. Um, and oftentimes can create something completely different than what I anticipated. But again, that, that can be a very positive thing as well. Um, you know, if it goes the other way and it's not what we planned on, you know, those are all learning lessons and we learn from those things. And I think that's a big part of my job as well, that the people that I have to work with, my colleagues, the staff, you know, they're, they're also, they're, they're teaching our students, but they're also learning from, from me. They're learning from our system. They're learning from the university. And in a lot of ways, I look at it that we're training them. So when they go and get their own program, that they're going to be able to run it in a very successful way. It may not be like I do it, but hopefully their time with us gives them the tools and resources that they need, the know-how to do, you know, what they need to do when they get that job as well. Yeah. Um, so something that, um, I found is really difficult, um, to do when like leading a really large group of people is connect with a lot of like er almost everybody individually, but also like appeal to the collective whole. So like, how do you do it? Yeah. You know, so I make it, uh, this, this is not meant to sound cruel by any means, but you know, and this isn't the cruel part. We take a picture of everyone the first day, uh, we call it preseason camp, which is like band camp. And so it's a photo log that we have, and um, I have our staff, whatever section that they're assigned to, each of our staff members, they're assigned to a specific section. So we've got somebody that works with the baritones and the sousaphones, somebody that works with the trumpets and so forth. Those individuals are responsible in one week's time, so throughout the course of preseason camp, to learn each person's name, uh, the section that they're responsible for. Um, our drum majors, uh, they're right there along with me. They, I, I want them to know everybody's name by the end of the week. So between the drum majors and myself, we really strive to learn everybody's name in a week's time. Um, and why is that important? You know, I think, again, to speak completely to what you're talking about, Namish, you know, a big part of it is, you know, people want to be called by their name. They don't want to be called, hey, you, or hey, you with the orange hat doesn't necessarily work because a lot of people are wearing orange hats at a place that school colors are orange and blue. So, you know, looking at that, it just makes it more personable. And in the long run, it's not just the nature of knowing their name. It's, it's about, you know, learning a little bit about them and making them feel like they're a valued member of the team and not just a number. Um, you know, every university has a different size. University of Illinois right now, we just went over 51,000 students. So when you look at that, how do you make someone feel like, again, they're part of something as opposed to just another number? And that's a big part of our philosophy. Um, sometimes even more so, some people may not like this answer, but I think a lot of times this is more important than even what we do musically or visually out on the field. Because I feel that if you know that person's name and you get to know them, you ask how they're doing, then when you ask them to do something musically or visually, they're going to be that much more prone to, you know, going out there and making it happen as opposed to, you don't even know my name, so why are you asking me to do this? You don't care about me. Um, and so, again, how our students feel is a big part of our culture and ultimately a big part of our success. 
Awesome. So you talked a lot about leadership um, and the different aspects of leadership, but I want to kind of pick your brain on how to engage a group of people. Cause I'm, I'm guessing during some practices you have obviously the whole group of the marching band on the field. And obviously some minds may wander. It may be hard to focus for a given amount of time. So how do you captivate students um, to get them engaged in what you're doing? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a big part of that is making sure that first of all, what we're doing has some interest to it. So, you know, like when we're picking what shows we're going to do, you know, I'm always looking at our audience, who makes up the audience, but also like what's going to be challenging and interesting for our students. Um, the luxury of college marching band, especially at Illinois, like many of our Big Ten colleagues, we do a different show for every single game. So, you know, that ends up becoming seven to eight different halftime shows. So if somebody starts to feel disengaged, um, they better hold on quick because things are changing constantly. Um, you know, there are times where we only have three or four days to learn a new show. So the pace at what we do things is just extremely fast. So most of the time, you know, any of our students that may start to feel disengaged, it may be, you know, for some other reasons. It may not be the content that we're trying to cover just because the speed at which we teach is so quick. And, you know, you go from sectionals to where you're warming up to doing full band and playing through halftime um, and then learning the drill. Uh, and so we have an hour and a half rehearsal every night to, to work on that. But, you know, by the time you start that Monday and you're hoping to be done by Friday, you're performing in front of a national audience on Saturday. So it kind of goes back to that cultural aspect again that people are working at this and really striving to do well because they know they're going to be performing quick within a very quick amount of time. Um, but, you know, if I do notice, if for some reason, if somebody does look a little disengaged, I'll usually follow up with them, um, not in the middle of rehearsal. Um, you know, we're always very, very, we're very specific with, we want to go ahead and praise public. And if there's any type of, you know, um, I don't want to say negative feedback, but if there's any criticism or constructive feedback, we're very careful that we do that a little more privately. Um, students don't want to be called out. People don't want to be called out. You know, let's let's think about that. If someone you know starts yelling at you, how does that make you feel? No one wants that kind of treatment. So usually we'll follow up and ask for a meeting after rehearsal, or if they've got some time, meet me in my office. You know, when's convenient for them, and just make sure that everything's okay. Yeah, for sure. Um... So I know something, something that I've also learned is that um, people only take 10% of the energy that you give them as a leader, right? So if you're up there and you're giving 100%, everybody else will only take 10%. So like, how is that something that, like, how have you taken that idea and kind of um, decided, like, taught it to maybe the drum majors or other faculty members and how do they kind of embody that idea? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I look at it um, younger in my career, I thought I could change all of that myself. And, you know, you, you get smarter as time goes on, uh, whether you're stubborn or you just finally realize, okay, hey, if I give into this and you see that something's better, it's like, okay, let's go with this. So I've really learned, number one, that the energy that I put into our culture is you know ultimately a reflection of, of how I'm feeling that day. And so I may have come out of a really negative meeting and going straight to rehearsal. I've got to mentally quickly shift gears 
to make sure that I don't go into any type of rehearsal with any type of negativity. If I do that, that's going to trickle down to everyone, the faculty, the staff, the students, and it's just not going to be a productive rehearsal. Um, so, you know, I make sure that I, number one, am staying as positive as possible in every single situation. I try not to get overly hyper about things in terms of freaking out about if something doesn't happen correctly on the field, remaining calm, working through problems or conflicts, and that stems, or that, that actually creates, you know, a much better situation. Now, that being said, the energy that I bring is contagious. So with that, we talk a lot with our staff, with our drum majors, with our section leaders, saying that you've got to do the same thing. And so oftentimes we say this to the entire band and, you know, anybody can take this and it may sound ridiculous, but it's something that, you know, I think we all actually put into motion when we get to rehearsal. As soon as you leave the sideline and you step onto that football field, you are leaving all of your issues, all of your problems from the day behind. And we now enter the happiest place on earth, Marching Illini World. Uh, we're giving competition to Disney World out there. And so when you look at that, this is an element that is, again, it's a specific mental shift that our students have to make to make sure that we are going to create a positive environment. So it's an expectation. Does everybody follow through with that? No. But let's be honest, we all know that negativity can spread faster than positivity um, and being positive but bringing that positivity to any type of rehearsal you know it takes a lot more work but when you get that created it's amazing what that will do and what the the benefits what will you know be reaped from that work that you put into it so I think again ultimately if this is not an ego thing but for any leader out there that ultimately it stems from you and it stems from your overall approach and what you infuse your program, your business, your corporation with. But then you've got to make sure that you create a very positive and healthy environment. And that's, again, making sure that the people around you and the people that you surround yourself with are going to understand that. They may approach it differently, but again, it gets back to we understand where we're going and what are our goals for the organization. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, sorry. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, I learned at tennis was that you have all these different little circles and areas of your life. And when we had to step on the tennis court, our coach made us put those away because what they said is that if you bring one onto the court, it's going to affect how you play because that's going to be occupying your, your mind space. And it's going to be preventing you from performing at the, in the best possible way. So I'm curious, how do you personally change your state from a negative to a positive mood? You said on your short walk to the field, you had to um, go through that mental change. What do you have to go through in your head or say to yourself? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's going to vary depending on what the situation was beforehand. But I think ultimately, again, I look at throughout the course of my day, there's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of um, non-musical things that I have to deal with. And so the time that I get to meet with our students should be the most precious time. Because um, in a lot of ways, in the fall, marching band is all consuming, as we all know, or, you know, just like any, any sport, like tennis, that can be all consuming as well. You put a lot of, a lot of work into that. Um, but it's something that we love. Um, so I'm always very quick to make sure, you know what, Hauser, you got to pay attention to this, because if you go into this hour and a half, this is the only hour and a half that you've had this entire day to spend with your students, to make a positive difference, and to do something musically speaking. 
Um, now, there are other classes that I get to teach at certain times, so, um, you know, that, that can be said of those classes as well, but, you know, I don't have 375 in those classes of coming from every academic discipline. So, you know, it comes down to, ultimately, it's all about the students. And if I can't make that mental shift, I'm being really selfish that I can't get over whatever my issues are or someone else's issues. So I'm learning more and more. And again, I think this comes with experience. I, I really struggled with this early in my career to where if anybody said anything negative, um, it would just eat away at you. And now I realize it may be, it, it may be that that person's having a really bad day as well. And they really didn't mean what they said. Or maybe they did, and maybe that's something that I need to take a look at. But my skin is a lot thicker these days, and I realize, you know, in this time and with the experiences that I've had, that I've got primary focuses. And if I continue to focus on those primary things, um, we are going to ultimately have success, which ultimately, it's not about my success, it's about our student success and their experiences that they have. And if they're having a fantastic time, an enjoyable time, and they take pride in things, then we know that we're doing our job as a leader. Yeah, for sure. Um, something that I always do is like, if I know I've had a bad day on that like 10, 15 minute walk to the field, I, just, I have like a playlist and it's literally titled walking to the field. Um, and so it's like a couple of songs that can ultimately like get me in that mood. But I I'll always like, that's usually like at least five minutes of that walk is like just me walking by myself. And that's like, I make sure to take that time to myself because it's like, you have to get in a different, completely different mindset, I feel like. Um, yeah, that is, that is so true. And, you know, music again, right? The power of music, what that can do to get that mental shift. And, you know, I think a big part of that for me as well, you know, music can do that. And just the walk itself, you know, if you find yourself sitting at a desk, working in front of a computer screen, yeah. and you finally get up and start to move around, just that physical activity can help a great deal with that mental shift indeed. Yeah, yeah, something uh, very interesting I heard yesterday from uh, a guy named Jocko Willink, who was in the Navy SEALs. Um, he was talking about how uh, people may be tired throughout the day and like and very sluggish. And he said, go to a corner, do 10 burpees and 15, 20 push-ups. He goes, he goes, I don't think you'll be tired for at least another half hour. Like there's no way because your body, you get your blood pumping, you get moving. It's the same thing with a walk. You get your blood pumping a little bit and you feel that little extra boost of energy that help you get through that practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, something you kind of touched upon a little bit was um, sort of like the bureaucracy of working in a, in like in a university. And I know like a lot of, I've had a lot of teachers that have talked about it too. It's like, they're like, I don't necessarily do this whole school thing for like the bureaucracy of it, right? Like you do it to connect with students, but like, how do you kind of inevitably in any job scenario, like even in the corporate world, right? There's things that you don't want to do. Um, and there's, th there's things that are like, this is the reason that I went into whatever I'm doing. So how do you kind of deal with um, doing things that you don't want to do to get to where doing things that you want to do? Yeah, again, I think it goes back to, again, knowing that the heart of everything that we do is going to be based on our students. So, you know, I've gotten past the point of working through some of these ridiculous things and saying, why are we spending so much time on this? But then you realize, you know, for instance, um, our, our students, we were able to take all of our students to the Red Box Bowl um, for the football team to play uh, Cal Berkeley. Now, a trip from Illinois to California, as we know, can be quite expensive, um, especially when you're taking 375 people. So we were very grateful to athletics, 
um, for allowing us to do that. But, you know, it was, it was a little bit frustrating, and this wasn't athletics fault, but we had two charter planes that some of the band was on that only got about 200 people to California. The other 175, we had to figure out how are we going to do this. So I had to book individual flights for the remaining students from wherever they were living, anywhere throughout the country. We had people from Virginia, from Texas, from Florida, that we were flying from their hometown to get them to California. That took a long time to do that. That's not necessarily part of my job, but I did that because I knew you know, what I was going to do was going to make sure that our students were going to be on the trip, number one, and that they were going to have an amazing time. So, you know, I think part of that, you get through that and you realize, okay, in the end, this is going to benefit our students. The other part of it, I think, again, with longevity, people start to figure you out. And I think majority of people at Illinois now know how I work. I know how they work. You kind of start to, I don't want to say you, you know where the loopholes are, but you know the specific people that you can talk to to get some things done if things are running a little too slow. And I think that goes with, again, not being sneaky about it. It goes with, again, building relationships. And those relationships, beyond just with your students and with your colleagues, those are so important. What we do, how we interact with our university administration, um, and every academic unit is very key. Um, one of the things that we did, obviously, in this very virtual environment, you know, commencement and convocations were, were canceled because of COVID-19. That, that's something throughout the country that graduates were looking at and universities were looking at and high schools looking at that. So a lot of people put virtual commencements together. Well, that's great. But again, many of them wanted some type of music to go along with it. So I reached out to our colleagues throughout the campus and said, hey, We've got a number of recordings of the Marching Illini. We'll be happy to share those things with you. And again, it's just the goodwill that we were able to provide. Um, we, we created some really awesome relationships further than what we had done before because of that goodwill. And in, tact, or in, you know, in return, the students that are graduating from those programs, they had a much nicer commencement because they had a musical background to that as well uh, with the Illinois School Songs. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um... I know we just had a uh, Mr. Chips Daly on the uh, we had we had him on the podcast very recently, and uh, something he really talked about was and it kind of tied into this whole idea of servant leadership, which I think that you've like like in this interview kind of like beat around the bush where we haven't really said it. Um, and he what something that he said was like a lot of things in life aren't your fault but they're your responsibility. And so I was just curious as to like, how do you um, necessarily practice a servant leadership throughout your life? And what do you have to say for anybody that's like, I really like this idea, but I don't really know how to implement it in my life. Yeah. Well, Namish, you're hitting upon something that is very key with everything that I do, you know, at Illinois and, you know, from your experiences at Smith Walbridge, we don't really talk about servant leadership necessarily at Smith Walbridge, but the whole program is truly centered around that, you know, thought process. Um, and, you know, I won't go on a long dissertation uh, about this for everyone, but there's two forms of leadership. There's systemic, which is kind of the hierarchy to where we kind of make that a little more vertical to where there's someone that's the true leader and they're going to give orders. And then there's going to be someone that they delegate and it's kind of the trickle down effect. And then there's servant leadership, um, which is going to be more horizontal. And this kind of brings along the whole collaborative team effort approach. Um, and that becomes I, me versus we, us. Uh, so we look at the we us is what we're really trying to do with servant leadership. Um, and that's been a 
basic part of my upbringing from, you know, as far back as I can remember. That's what my, my parents brought me up to always give back to others, to help others. Um, and that doesn't mean financially. That can just be, you know, opening the door for people. Um, my mom made me do that all the time. Hey, open that door for that person going in. And, you know, smile, say please and thank you. Um, having good manners. Um, it's amazing how that has transpired and, you know, really bring to bring me to where I am today in my life and always looking back how we can give back in whatever way possible. So, you know, that's something that we do on an everyday basis, whether it be through our summer camps that we do, whether at Illinois, and, and a lot of what we do, it's all service. And in a lot of ways, music can be considered service. Um, you know, you're sharing something of yourself with others and that can uplift the human spirit or it can make them feel something, you know, emotional. So I think, you know, a big part of our overall system and what I pass on to my students, that's, that's our overall culture. It's not a matter of, well, you know, someone left that candy wrapper out on the field. Well, it's not mine. Well, we know, but go pick it up anyway. You know, it's that kind of mentality. Or uh, during, you know, our, our lockdown here in Illinois, uh, during our uh, classes, uh, we still needed to interact with our students. And how do you do that within the athletic bands uh, when there's no athletic events to play for? So we created some virtual versions of some of our school songs. Um, but we also decided to write uh, cards to residents in nursing homes. Um, that's not our responsibility, but we took it upon ourselves to do that. And our students really did a phenomenal job with that. Um, you know, they weren't forced to do that. They were uh, brought that possibility to them and many of them participated. And so it just, it made a difference. And I think those are great lessons. When we experience that, when somebody kind of prompts you to do that, how contagious that can be and the, the feel goods, if you will, that you get out of that can be uh, very contagious and you want to keep doing that more and more. Yeah. And obviously when you give, you receive abundantly and I'm sure those students um, got a lot more out of that activity than they would have thought. And as with anything where you're giving you at first, you think of yourself and say, Oh, like, why am I putting my time and effort in this? But then you learn lessons that never would have been put in front of you in any different scenario that are needed to be learned, especially um, when you're working with students um, and the youth. So it's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, and that's such a good point. And thanks for bringing that up. Um, you know, I think we often forget about that. We always think about the things we have to do. And when you get to do something, um, like you said, Jack, it's amazing how you do something like that and what you get back in return is far greater than what you ever anticipated. And, you know, kind of teaches us all that, again, we can give and expect to get nothing and we should expect to get nothing, but it's amazing the, the feel good moments that you get out of those things when you do some good things for others. For, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I think it's like indicative of music too, right? I think in, um, in an ensemble, especially, um, or even in a marching band, right? There's so much, there's like a, there's almost a greater emphasis on an individual's power to change an entire group. Right. And I think that that's something that if you practice more and more, um, you come to realize that you come to realize your own worth, but not in like an egotistical kind of way. almost. Yeah, it's a very good statement. And I think, you know, it kind of goes along with what you put into something, you know, you're going to get even more out of it. And I think people look at it, it's like, man, I have to do this. I have to do this. Um, you know, and there are things in our lives that we have to do. We know that, but the things that we really like and love to do, 
Um, it's still it's still interesting when we hear students across the country or even throughout the world that say, well, you know, I have to do that. Well, you, you signed up for this, right? You decided to do this and you're saying I have to do this now. Well, there, there are choices involved. And, you know, I think there's just something to be said. I think there's a paradigm shift in our thinking when we say get to versus have to anyway, which I think is a big part of leadership. I get to go make a difference. I get to go teach music. I get to go make music. I get to go play tennis. I get to go run. I get to, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, that, that is a mental shift right there and can have a tremendous impact on we as people, as individuals, when we look at that get to versus have to mentality. Yeah. yeah. So my, what's funny is my dad actually um, works in construction and a lot of times he works like overtime works 13, 14 hour day sometimes. And um, he says what gets him through it, especially um, as he's getting a little older is that he doesn't look at it as work. He looks at it as he gets a whole day to work out <laughs> and he gets a whole day to, to get his body in the right shape and uh, kind of get through that. And I think that that mindset and the, the little shift in your brain um, allows you to enjoy the task that much more instead of dreading it and uh, not having fun with it. Like same thing with yard work or anything that involves a lot of physical labor. Yeah. And kudos to your dad. Please tell him that I, I worked road construction to get myself through, uh, through college. So I only did that during the summers, but, um, and I don't know what kind of road or, you know, construction he does, but I did road construction. So, you know, paving roads with that hot asphalt out mm -hmm. there. You are right, man. Talk about physical condition. There's so much physicality that goes into that. It, it is insane. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so I have a question. What are some like paradigm shifts that you've had? Because you touched upon the idea of a paradigm shift. So what have you had? Like what are some that you've had as um, you've been teaching? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of what I've shared here and a lot of what I share with my students are I think some of my paradigm shifts that I have. You know, um, I'm, I'm pretty transparent. I don't, I don't hide a whole lot. Um, you know, what you see is what you get. Uh, so, you know, that, that paradigm shift of the get to have to has been a really big focus of mine, uh, you know, especially my time at Illinois. I think about that a lot because there are a lot of things I have to do. And those have to items can chip away at the, you know, the moments that we really look forward to and enjoy. And, you know, I look at game day and look at our students and, you know, it's amazing how those have to moments when I start saying I get to do this because I know what the end result is going to be, how much more enjoyable I can get through some of those have to items. So that's been a big paradigm shift. I think um, focusing more, I think, you know, sometimes when we are younger, it's easier to look at an I me mentality as opposed to we us. Um, and not that I was egotistical as a kid growing up, but you know, you have a certain amount of confidence and you go into things of, I can do this myself. I don't, if I ask for help, it's going to be a sign of weakness. Um, and that was kind of, not that my family, it, I, sometimes that can sound like a negative thing, but you know, there's a lot of pride that goes with that when you can do things and accomplish things yourself. I look at, you know, what I've done in my life and I don't think anything has ever been handed on a silver platter. So I can take a great deal of pride in that, um, that I did that work to get where I am today. Um, but, you know, I also now am re realizing more and more, especially at my time at Illinois, that the we us mentality is a much smarter way to go. That I don't have to be setting up all the chairs in the band room when we've got a staff that does that or people that are willing to do that. 
Um, and imagine, you know, I can spend an hour setting up 375 chairs, or we can get a group of 10 people that are volunteering their time and we can knock it out in 10 minutes. It's a better use of time. It's better efficiency. So, you know, those are just a couple of the paradigm shifts. Um, and I think a big part of that too is just where I am in life. You know, when I was, when I was single, I wasn't married or anything like that. It was just me and it's easier to kind of, you worry about yourself, but you know, having a wife and kids, that, that's a huge paradigm shift of, okay, yeah, I'm not worried about myself. I hardly worry about myself anymore at all. You know, I'm more worried about making sure my wife is healthy and that my kids are doing well. And then you get to yourself and like, oh yeah, okay, I guess I should, you know, take care of myself or do something, you know, uh, but it's, it's, it's a good place to be. It's a really good place to be. And I think that nurturing from the family aspect also transfers over into how I take care of my students. And so I think those are some, some pretty big paradigm shifts that, you know, weren't anticipated, weren't necessarily planned. It's just where life takes you. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. So I'm very interested. Obviously you have uh, 375 students to take care of. Do you take and allow them to give you some sort of feedback and try to help the collective group and allow them to kind of make their own lasting impact? Yeah, I, I think that is so important. And you know, this, this would go under uh, another paradigm shift, if you will. Um, uh, before, you know, I think, again, there's insecurities. All of us, all of us out there in the world, we have some type of insecurity. And some of us, we let those insecurities get a hold of us. And some of them, we can control those and, and you know, not let that decide who we are. So you know, again, that's been another change that I would not ask for a lot of feedback or I'd get very defensive if I got feedback from students, from parents when I taught in the public schools. And it was kind of like, okay, I guess I'm not doing a good job because they're offering these things. So I now um, do a couple different surveys throughout the course of the season with our students. And I'll constantly, on a weekly basis, we have student staff meetings. So I'll have our student staff comprised of about 32 different students that represent every section of the band and I meet with them, and one of the first questions I ask is, okay, how are we doing? And how are we doing is really, how am I doing? What do I need to do? What do I need to pay attention to? Is there something going on this week that I need to pay closer attention to because the students are really stressed out? Are there a lot of midterms going on? So do I need to lay off a little bit and not push as hard? Um, so those surveys really help out a lot. And then I do a big survey at the end of the season to see how their season was, what can we do to be better, better communicators, what can we do with our schedule. And then usually with our seniors, I do a senior exit survey as well. Um, and why, why do that? I ask them to do a senior exit survey because they're not locked down to what they're, you know, sometimes students will be worried about how they're gonna give feedback in fear that you may come after them afterwards. And this is something that I think is really key that our seniors, they don't have anything to lose at that point. They're graduating, they're going on to their career. And so they don't have as many inhibitions, if you will, in terms of wanting to share truly how they feel and being honest. So I think that's a really important part and I've learned a lot from our seniors when they're you know, moving on to the next chapter of their life. Yeah, that awareness is so important. Uh, me and Amish uh, both have uh, the same English teacher and a lot of times she is very aware of how student stress levels may be and how if there's a big, uh, there's one week in the winter where there's all these uh, winter concerts and all these students are uh, at school for crazy hours and they know how busy they are. So the teacher is very um, aware of how much workload to give them and allow them to maybe 
have more of a, an easy day in class. They can rest up and so they're not as stressed throughout the day. And just having that awareness as a leader is very important to keep that morale ha- high and keep the ability of everyone you have um, to have their best performance and to, to help them in general. Yeah, yes. And I think that's an important part that, you know, any leader, if you're not in tune with those things, you're not really leading at that point. You know, being, being a high-quality leader is making sure that you are aware of your, you know, your members, your team, and making sure because it's not going to be, you know, we, we say give 100% all the time, but there's going to be times where there's going to have to be kind of an ebb and flow that if we're pushing too hard, uh, that's, that's not, we're not going to get the, the results that we're looking for if we push too much and too fast. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just wrapping up a little bit, um, two questions that we ask everybody, um, that comes on a podcast. The first one is what are two or three books that have, that you've read that have kind of changed your outlook? Yeah. Um, one is John Gordon's the energy bus. That's and a great book. Yeah. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yep. It, amazing. It's, it's an easy read, but there's so much that you can get out of it. So I love that book. Um, and then, um, What's another one? Because there's a number of them. I like a lot of John Gordon stuff because, you know, there's the, the positive team. Um, I, I got them actually like right here or nearby. So I got like the energy bus, uh, training camp, the power of positive leadership. Uh, love those. Um, you know, I, I love uh, Lou Holtz has a biography uh, out there as well. And Lou Holtz, for those that don't know, was used to be the head coach of the uh, Notre Dame football team. And I, I love that book. There's so many interesting stories um, about his leadership style. Uh, so that's another one that I have really enjoyed spending some, some time with. And I, I will usually read that every several years just to kind of get reacquainted with that. Um, but, you know, from good to great, Jim Collins, that's another great one that's out there. It's a little bit more about the business and corporate world. Uh, but again, some, some you know, there's, there's no, uh, as you guys know, there's no uh, uh, loss for positive books out there on leadership. There's a lot out there, and it's amazing how some of these can be really impactful. But like I said, big fan of anything that John Gordon has written. He's got some really powerful stuff, and I think they're pretty easy reads. Awesome. Cool. And the final question that we have, this is a a more deeper question, but what is one piece of advice that you would give to your high school self? Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, Slow down, enjoy and live in the moment that you're in as opposed to looking forward to the future of where you're going to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, And I say that because in hindsight, Everything that I thought I was going to do from my high school days and before, none of it has come to fruition. And you know what? That's the best thing that could have happened because I'm in a happy place. I've got a great job, great family, and I get to I get to make a positive difference. At least I hope a positive difference and impact on you know so many that I get to work with both at Illinois through camp and so forth. Awesome. Well, we uh, Barry, we appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Um, and, uh, if anyone is in the Illinois area, when this whole quarantine ends, uh, be, feel free to go to, um, different athletic events and see, um, your band in action or probably check them out on YouTube. There's probably many, many videos, um, the, of them playing. And, uh, that's it for the 5am hustle podcast as always. Peace.